From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you the Unconquered Podcast. As always, this podcast brought to you by EPR Creations, showthesafeties.com, the Unconquered Podcast store. If you haven't gotten your stickers, go to the Unconquered Podcast store and take a uh, take a gander at the selection there. Also brought to you by Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, Carborough, North Carolina, and Garage Makeovers in South Florida. So let's go ahead and get to it. I'm going to do mostly question and answer in this one. I honestly don't want to talk too much about it, about the uh, the pit game. There's just not a whole lot more to break down there. It's um it's a real mess. And we're just going to go ahead and do some discussion of sort of where Florida State is right now and moving into the final portion of this season, going going into the NC State game followed by the Clemson game and then uh, and then the, the couple to wrap the year up. What's going on with the program at this point? And uh, especially in light of some of the other, some of the announcements that were made this week, Marvin Wilson going to sit out the rest of the year after having a, a minor procedure done on his knee. And yes, he could potentially fight his way back onto the field, much like uh, Tamori and Terry did after his procedure yeah, he could fight his way onto the field for the last game or two, something like that. But there's really no point for him to do that at this point. I mean, look, you're you're you've got two wins, you're two and five. He's a guy with an NFL future. If I'm the head coach, I say, son, we'd love to have you back. We'd love to have you back for next year, but I don't want you playing this year. The rest of this year is it's not worth it for you. Any any hurrying back if you if you re-aggravate it or anything like that post-surgery. It's, it's not going to be worth it for you. You're not going to put great film out there. You've already had trouble with some, some of the stuff. Uh, once, you, once you got your knee a little bit messy this year, you, you, you've not had the best year. So let's just go ahead and wrap it up. You can get yourself in the best shape possible. And if you want to go pro, we're going to support that. And if you want to come back, we'd love to have you back. That's what I would say as Mike Norvell. If I were in Mike Norvell's position... And if I were Marvin Wilson, I would very much appreciate that. I'll just, I, I, that's exactly what I would want to do. I'd want to take a, I'd want to take the rest of the year to rehab and, and do everything necessary to get myself in the best possible shape. And then I'd want to investigate where, where, where is my draft stock? Where would I go right now? Would it be better for me to return for another year and put some better film on, uh, put, put some better stuff on film or would the NFL still be looking at me as a potential first rounder, you know, maybe in the second round? Would I be would I be in that range? And if so, I might go. But that's that's basically that situation. And then you have the others. You've got James Blackman, who it, it was sad to see him get booed when he went out on the field to be uh, to begin the half against uh, against Pitt. And then, of course, throw throwing that interception at the end of that at the end of that first drive. And then getting booed going off the field, just a, a really sad end to a chapter uh, of his career, of his life, where that guy didn't have anything go right for him after he signed with Florida State. I mean, you think about it, he signed up to play for a quarterback guru who had just put three quarterbacks in the in the first round of the NFL draft and a guy who could really develop him. And then all of a sudden that guy leaves. And then he has four offensive coordinators in four years. That's just look at if you want to look at what that can do to a guy's career look at Carson Palmer in the first three years of his career at USC and how bad he was at USC for for three years 
until finally he had the same coordinator two years in a row. I mean, Carson Palmer is a really good quarterback. I mean, the guy was a was an NFL quarterback for a long time, and it can really mess with you to have three different coordinators in three years, let alone four and four. It just changes everything. And and so, you know, you hope that that Blackman can go somewhere where he can finish his career. He gets two years under the same coach and he can really flourish in an offense that is more suited to what he what he's what he brings to the table. And, you know, with with this being a year that doesn't count for his eligibility, he's going to be able to graduate and then leave as a graduate transfer with two years to play two, which that's that's a good deal for him. So finally, actually, that's the one thing that actually has broken his way a little bit. Then Tamorian Terry, another guy who's not fully healthy. And again, you're two and five. What's the benefit of Tamorian Terry playing the rest of this year? What's the benefit for him? And what's the benefit for the program? I, I would say the same thing to Terry as I would say to, to, uh, to Marvin Wilson of, look, what benefit, what benefit is there for you to, to really push it and grind and push through the pain to, to try to play like this and try to scrape out maybe another win for us? How much is that going to help you versus really getting yourself healthy? And Terry's a guy that's probably going to go pro. So, you know, at that point you say, thank you. Thank you for, for coming back and for trusting me initially. I'm sorry it didn't go better this year. I'm sorry you, uh, you got dinged up early in the year. I'm sorry for the, uh, the personal stuff, you know, your grandmother dying early in the year and all the, all the other issues that Terry has been fighting this year. Sorry for that. We'll, and we'll be happy to have you visit any other time. Uh, once you've, once you've actually made it and you've had a successful pro career, if you want to come back, we'd love to have you and have you visit and, and, uh, and all of that. That's, that's, that's where you are with that. And then of course you've got love Taylor out for the season as well. Another injury. So, I mean, this is there, you are at a point where given those injuries and given all that stuff, there's just not a whole lot good going on right now. There's not a whole lot you can hang your hat on and say, yeah, you know what? Things are finally turning in the right direction for this program, all you can basically say is, all right, well, this gives us every reason to find out what we have on the roster with the young guys to treat this as a extended spring practice with the chance to actually get guys playing, uh, playing against other teams. We're going to step it up a little bit in terms of physicality, in terms of what we're going to ask of these guys in practice we're going to we're going to push these guys harder. We're not worried so much about whether they're, you know, going to be completely ready for the game. We're going to work on fundamentals. We're going to work on getting ourselves better for next year because this year is shot. And that's what you have to do. You have to This is one of those things as a coach, you have to learn when it's time to cut bait on the season. And you can't cut bait on the season fully. You still, you know, you owe it to your players to try to win games. But you have to basically say, "Okay, look, this season is not going to be a success. We're probably not going to win this game, but we can get better this week. So what do you do to get better this week specifically for the next year? So you're still, you haven't given up on the season in that respect. Going to get ready. So that's what you have to do. You have to figure out, and you have to figure out when you push, when you start pushing those buttons, you have to figure out which players are on board. And that's something that, we saw a little bit of this week in terms of Norvell's comments on this. In term, and, and by the way, there's going to be a number of other players that are going to leave. They, they know this. They're, they, and they're encouraging a few players who have, and, and 
Blackman's not a situation where it's an encouragement to leave because he's a bad guy or he's been toxic in the in the locker room or whatever. He's a guy that they're going to encourage just in the sense of his career and all of this. They they understand where he's at. But there are a few other players that we've not talked about that are going to be encouraged to, you know, son, it, it, you ought to really consider whether you want to be here or not. And there are a few of those guys. And some of those guys we're going to find out about here in the next few days, next week or so, and then a couple of them at the end of the season. So that's going to be, and that's going to be good. That's going to be good attrition, even though some of those guys can play. Now, I did see a list that was put out, uh, you know, it's been floating around in terms of guys that uh, are allegedly going to be leaving. And I'll just say this. I don't expect every guy on that list to, to go. I, I really don't. I, I, I know that, that various guys on this team have been frustrated by different situations. I mean, you think about somebody like, uh, like Dante Lucas getting suspended for missing curfew and, you know, maybe not real happy about where he's at with that, but then he's back on the field and, and improving and continuing to play. That's a guy I, I'd be a bit surprised if I saw, you know, and he was on one of the names on the list. I'd be surprised to see Lucas leave at this stage. Does that mean that he's been satisfied and, and all of that the whole time? No, but he's a guy that this coaching staff likes and he's going to have an, an invitation to stick around. That's for sure. So, you know, I, I think, I think you will see a couple guys, a couple guys that can play that will go. But all that said, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to deal with potential names and all that too much at this point in terms of, you know, who's leaving, who's staying. I mean, to be honest, when you're dealing with this sort of thing, we've seen players stick their names or prepare to stick their names in the transfer portal. And James Blackman was ready to put his name in the transfer portal. And then it got reported as though he was in the portal and all of this stuff. Guys, guys change their minds. And I think we're going to see some of that. And, and, and that's why I, you know, I think it can be premature sometimes to put, put stuff out there too early. Uh, I, I just, I, I think, um, in the in the long run, we're going to see some guys go, but there are also a couple guys that have you know been frustrated or different points, and they're going to fully buy in and they're going to return, and and that's it's just the way it is at this stage. And and when you have a a new coach, there's always a tug of war, and there's a tug of war between the players who buy in right away and players who don't, and then there's also a tug of war even within players. And you know, a guy may not really want to buy in, but then there's a part of him that does. And then, you know, it's just which part wins. So I think long-term, this is going to be one of those things that, of course, you want to keep the most talented players on your roster, but you also want to make sure that those talented players are, the, are, are, are bought in and you've got to make sure that every player is going to be bought in. And if you've got leaders or potential leaders, potentially some of your more talented guys that are not bought in, you have to make that call. You have to say, you know, that's even though you're a really talented guy and we, you know, if you were bought in, we'd win more with you. If you're not bought in, you actually can, you know, run us in the wrong direction. And that's something you have to have to assess. So there is going to be some flipping of the roster. I mean, I, I got a phone call earlier this week from someone who uh, is well-connected in this respect and was told basically that they are planning on taking double digit, double figures in terms of, uh, of transfers this, this season. 
And I, I think that makes sense. Now, of course you have to get, you have to actually attract those guys. You can't just plan to take 10 plus transfers and then, you know, count on, well, no, obviously if we, you know, basically put the sign out uh, vacancy, they're all going to come. You actually have to convince those guys to come. I mean, there were a few guys that really would have helped this year that they, that they went after last year that they weren't able to convince to come to campus. So, you know, the question is whether or not they're going to be able to sell that to get the 10, 12 guys that they want. But there are some, there are some important positions, some very important positions where they're looking for some older veteran help. And that's going to be something that they're going to do. And, and that's partly, I mean, they, they recognize where they're at in the recruiting side and how much COVID has impacted their ability to canvas the state, build relationships, do all the sorts of things that you want to do as a new staff. And, you know, given that you're actually in more of a position where you probably want to take some, some older guys, some transfers this year that count towards your 25 than you would in a normal year, just because, you know, in a normal year, maybe you're recruiting a little bit better. Maybe you can get a few more young guys that you can count on in the current situation. You can kind of tip the balance towards some of the older guys, especially if you can get older guys that are in the same kind of talent pool. You know, if you can get, if you're, if you're fishing for a bunch of three stars, then getting a three star who's developed into a pretty good player who's 22 years old is going to be preferable to an 18 year old three star who may or may not develop. Because that also, you know, that means that when it's time to replace that guy with more talent, you're not having to recruit over a guy that's already on your roster. You're having to recruit to replace a guy that's moved on after having transferred in and spent a year or two on your, on your program on your roster. So they're, they're realistic about what they, what they need to do. They know they need to bring in a bunch of guys who are willing to, uh, to play based on their, to play in their, um, in their system, in their particular culture to build that. And they, they're going to, they're going to target the double fit, double digit number in the, uh, in the, in the, in the, in the graduate transfer, instant eligibility transfer market. So yeah, that's, uh, that's saying a lot. Now, I'm going to go ahead and get into some questions here. And this segment brought to you by both Luis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, and Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. But we're going to go ahead and get into some questions, many of which have to do with these very same things. So first question is, what are your thoughts on what looks like a lot of kids leaving Florida State before next year? Is this a good or a bad sign with, on their relationship with the coaches? None of the three today are really surprising, but I did think Blackman would wait until after the season. Well, I think I think what this says is that there was a, a clear come to Jesus kind of situation on this, or perhaps better within the context of the program, a come to Norvell situation, where basically you've got a recognition that that after losing what we had talked about was the most important game left on the, on the, on the schedule. Given that, what then, what then is the plan for the rest of the year? And you have to kind of, you have that talk with your players and you say, okay, listen, we're going to, we want to know who, who really is going to be here next year. Who's bought in. And so you think about somebody like, like Blackman, 
in the situation that Florida State's in right now at quarterback, and you say, okay, what's the benefit of James Blackman playing out the rest of the year? Not just for him, but for the team. And yeah, you, well, you know, then he's not quitting on the team or whatever. Yeah, but let's think about it in terms of reps. The, the only way to get better is with reps, to actually get reps in practice. And when you have a guy like Blackman, who now after what happened in the, in the pit game, he's not going to play another down this season. After that, I mean, what reason do you have to play him? Oh, well, because, you know, maybe he gives you a little bit, let's say, you know, Purdy gets hurt again and then he gives you a little bit better chance to win. It doesn't matter that he, if he gives you a 10% higher chance of winning that game, it still doesn't help you because he's not going to be back next year. And it doesn't matter whether you're, whether you're a three win team or a two win team this year, if that's, if that's the, the, the choice that you've got. So it doesn't matter what you really, what really matters and what you have to be thinking about is, okay, how many reps in practice are we going to get for the guys who are going to be here next year at this, at this position? And what the, 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 what you want to do is you want to make as much room for the guys that are going to be there next year as possible. You want to make it so that Purdy and Rotomaker and Jordan Travis are getting a ton of reps at the quarterback position. You want them to rep to get every practice rep possible. And if you know that you're basically going to be demoting Blackman to the scout team at that point, then it's it's not worth humiliating the guy. Why why would you do that? Why why would you want to basically humiliate Blackman by saying, "Well, look, we we can't really afford to give you the reps anymore because well, you're just, you know, you know and we know we're you're not going to be here next year." So, you know, go down to the scout team and try to give us a good look, but we're going to give the young guys more reps. Nah, you know what? At that point, you say, look, you, you know and we know what's going to happen after this season. You have our blessing to go ahead and save your body and focus on your academics so that you can be sure you put yourself in the best position to have two years to play two. You'll always be a null. Thanks for, thank you for your service. And, you know, if you want to stick around and do, do stuff, then you can, but here's the situation. And if I'm Blackman, I go, yeah, thanks. Thanks, guys. That's it. Same thing with Marvin Wilson, as we talked about. Same thing, a uh, little bit to a lesser degree with uh, with Terry. But you know, it's a similar thing. If Terry's not going to be around next year, you've got to start getting those young receivers time. You've got to get them reps and reps in practice. And to be totally honest, Terry's not the kind of player who you're going to say, "Okay, I've got to have him around to help coach the young guys up." So at that point, you say, "Okay, well, you know." Get yourself healthy. And, you know, if you want to use the facilities to continue to work out and all that, that's great. You're still, you'll always be a null. We thank you for sticking around, but that's that. So it's pretty simple. And, you know, in terms of whether it's a good or bad sign on their relationship with the coaches, some of the guys, particularly some of the guys that we're going to hear about leaving later, there are some, there is some, you know, places where uh, relationships could be better. That's true anytime you bring in a new coach. I mean, this happened with with my dad when he was in college, when he was a when he was playing quarterback. He went he went to a place and they hired a new coach and suddenly things are totally different. It's the way it works. Heck, it kind of happened to me. I mean, I went to Florida State really looking forward to play play for Mark Richt. And then Richt left 
my first year there. It changed everything. So yeah, I mean that, and I wasn't, I wasn't any good. So it still mattered. So yeah, that, uh, that's sort of where I, where I put things on that front. All right. Next question. I'd be interested to hear who in a normal year would be out of eligibility on the Florida state defense that you would actually be interested to have come back minus say Marvin Wilson and Asante Samuel Jr. That's a good question. So thinking about which players, which seniors, I guess, since again, you're going to, they're going to get to be seniors next year as well. Which seniors on the defense would I want to stay on the roster for next year? Okay. Well, there's two two levels to this. One is, would I want this guy to still be on the roster to provide depth for good practice stuff? Yes. You know, if the if the answer to that is yes for some of these guys, then I'd want them. So, I mean, obviously, I'd want Hamsa, but <laughs> yeah, right. Why would he come back? He's going to be a high draft draft choice. So you know, that's unrealistic. Um. Yeah, so I, I mean, I would actually, I would want Warner back, even though he's out of the depth chart at this point. I would want Warner back just because he's another guy. He's stable as a as a human being. He's a stabilizing influence in the locker room, and he can give you a, a practice player. So for me, even though that guy is probably not going to be the player that you're hoping for, he he's a guy that can at least provide some some good practice reps and all that if he understands that that's where his role, what his role is going to be. But, you know, he's not a guy that you're expecting any contribution from. Uh, Emmett Rice, definitely. I would want him back. He's a guy that has fully bought into Mike Norvell and to uh, doing things Norvell's way. He's a guy that you absolutely want on this roster if he wants to be back. And I think he's going to be back. Josh Kando. If Josh Kando wants to come back, (laughs) you take... Look, Kando is, first of all, one of the best human beings on this team in terms of just a complete person. So you want him around every chance you can get. You'd take him two more years if you could have him. And honestly, there are a lot of teams nationwide that would want Josh Kando if he decides to become a grad transfer. A lot of teams. But Kando is a guy that I would, <laughs> I would try to sell really hard on. Look, we can get you just a little bit better. And if you can have a full season here, full healthy season then that's great. But we're going to feature you. I'd sell him on that because he's a guy I'd pull out the stops to try to keep around. And I'd want Marvin Wilson back. No question. He's a talented guy. Give him a chance to have an offseason to really come back with a chip on his shoulder. Yeah, I'd take him. And I'd, you know, Janarius Robinson, I'd take back. Yeah, absolutely. No reason to send Janarius Robinson on. Now, if he's got his eye elsewhere, you know, he, he may decide to go somewhere else. Then you let him go. Well, obviously, you don't have much choice there. But he's a guy that I would I would I would want back. Mako Dotson, I'd bring him back. I mean, I'm starting to look at the at the upperclassmen here and I'm going, I, I don't see a whole lot of names, honestly, that I would say hit the road. I see a couple. Couple names that I would say hit the road. But you know, they're not actually seniors. They're, they're guys that are eligible juniors, but for the most part, I mean, those guys, the guys that I just mentioned are all guys that I would say, yeah, bring them back. 
Heck, I'd, I'd be interested in seeing what Carlos Becker could do at wide receiver. He's a guy, though, that I'd have, I'd have come back. They're not going to be short on, they're not going to be needing roster spots. I mean, they're going to be down at like 69 roster spots after attrition and 68 roster spots after attrition. I mean, they, they could bring in 30, 31 guys and still be after final attrition and injuries and all that stuff that happens in the off season, they could, they could wind up being below 85, bringing in 30 plus players, you know, back counting and doing all the stuff that you can do that. So you know, unless the guy's a problem in terms of your locker room, in terms of culture and all that, I think you want him back. So, you know, even a guy like, like DeKalon Brooks, who, you know, look, he's not going to play in this defense anymore. Even that, even him, you want him back because he's a, he's a good influence in your locker room. He's a guy that, that is going to sell out to, to be a part of your culture. So you'll take, you'll take that every chance, every chance you get. So there's not a whole lot of guys that I would send on. There are a few, and a few of the younger guys that I would send on, but most of those older guys, I'd, I'd, I'd give them another crack at it if I could, at least on the defensive side. And even on the offensive side, I mean, again, with a couple exceptions, a couple guys you hope to recruit over, and maybe they're not, they're, they're not playing a whole lot next year, but you still want them on your roster because you need practice reps. You need good practice reps. And if they're, if they're going to be guys that are going to be sold into your program and they're going to actually work hard, you want them. So pretty simple. Do you think the timing of the roster reboot should help us in the rest of the non-Clemson games? I mean, just look more together and bought in, not necessarily win. So, yes and no. I, I think... So, yes, in terms of looking more together and bought in, yes. This is a circle the wagon situation. If you play this right from the coaching staff's perspective... You, you turn this into a circle the wagons position where it's, you know, who's with us? Who, who are the real guys? As, uh, as Norvell talked about earlier this week, his, uh, his interview was interesting where he said, uh, the real guys, they understand what's in front of us. Guys that are willing to make that commitment, see the structure and plan in front of us. That, that's, uh, that's setting, setting it up very clearly to say, here, here's what, Here's, here's where the line is. And if you want to toe that line, then good. If not, then well, there's the door and guys who want to, who want to stick around. Yep. Here, here's, here's the way this is going to work, right? If you're going to, if, if you're with us, come on over here. And now we're going to tighten the, tighten the boundaries. We're going to tighten those, uh, the, the inside and the outside. So you do that and you could see, I mean, Jarvis Brownlee, the same sort, sort of thing where he said in his little interview, he said, uh, you can't put the dog in someone. It's all about effort. It starts with the players. Well, that's a guy that's bought in, <laughs> right? So this is the stuff that you basically that you're basically looking to do. So yeah, I think I think that does. It's better to have it happen now than after the season. In that respect, you'd rather have the the roster reboot happen when. There, there's still time for these guys to get used to playing and practicing at the level that, that you want and for them to be unified together earlier. So, so that's a plus. Next question. Anyone you think in particular we should be watching as potential breakouts for the rest of the year? That's an interesting question too, because I mean, that, that sort of rests on the question of who's going to be stepping into new roles or, or all of those things. I'd say, um, Look for the young receivers for sure as they start to 
play a lot more. So Portier, uh, Jordan Young, Darian Williamson, Brian Robinson, all of those guys are guys that I would look to see take a step forward. You know, hopefully those guys take a step forward and then you're in good shape. Uh, beyond that, I'd say Jarrett Jackson, the transfer from uh, Louisville was was cleared to play this week. He's a guy that I think you you look to flash over the rest of the season as he gets time. Uh, Malcolm Ray is a guy with Wilt Wilson not playing as much and uh, potentially another defensive tackle also not uh, not playing as much or not on the field, I guess. I can't say not playing as much if, if they're not playing at all. Uh, True Thompson is another guy that you want to see if he can he can flash and really show some stuff end of the year. Those would be the first people I'd think of. Um, yeah, beyond that, I, I, I don't really see anybody else that I say, yeah, that's a guy to really look to to see if he takes a big step forward. I mean, obviously the quarterback, all eyes are going to be on the quarterback, but uh, I would say I'd say that's your that's your group right there that that I'm going to be looking for in terms of the most um the most uh, potential in terms of taking that step forward. All right, next question. Florida State four and five star recruits don't seem to develop like other teams. Is it misevaluation, coaching, or strength and conditioning? Maybe a combination of all three. Regardless, something had better change quickly. Yeah. Well, I think some of it was misevaluation, in ter- and especially in terms of character, bringing some of the guys in that they that they got. But a lot of that is, you know, you look at the last year of Jimbo recruiting not really being fully invested in that, in that, in that world to really get the top level guys in terms of both talent and character. And then when you're looking at transition classes, so you got a transition class from, from Willie Taggart and then a transition class from Taggart to, to Norvell, you can't be as choosy in transmit transition classes. You have to take guys that you can take and then you, you know, you go from there. So that's, that's a factor. And then you look at coaching. So I think that the last coaching staff had some serious organizational problems at the, at the top and then a few assistants who were not very good. So definitely at some positions in particular, there was a, a coaching issue. And even if there hadn't been in that respect, you've got three different defensive coordinators and four different defensive schemes in four years. You've got four different offensive coordinators in four years you have three different strength and conditioning coaches in three years or in four years that is including one who was one was one was checked out not not really interested in being the head strength and conditioning coach and really working working himself and making sure that all the guys were held accountable and then the other guy who you know maybe not uh the caliber that you want Certainly not the caliber that you want. I'm just trying to be gentle. And then, you know, you get another guy that hasn't had a full off season with those guys. So it's all of the above, plus some of the downsides of not having your your culture and system built in place at the point that you're that you're doing all this stuff when you're trying to get this transition. So it's a it's a perfect storm to really have guys not develop. And yeah, things had better change quickly. And that's where you'd better, you, you've got to count on 
this staff being having guys that are that are better coaches at their positions and then having a guy like Storms and his staff really working with a bunch of guys to do what they need to do. Critical. And being able to have a full off season with Josh Storms really working that working that stuff to uh, working working the stuff that you need to to build into into your program to to develop those guys. So that's that's that. All right. Next question. Longer term. I'm getting concerned that the Norvell type offenses don't work in the Power 5 world. Teams with big fast defensive lines seem to eat it up. Horrible quarterback play, play aside, you think we can win with it? Oh, that is uh that is a really interesting question. We're going to talk a lot about this over the course of the offseason, but I'm just going to say this. I think this betrays a little bit of a misunderstanding of what the Norvell type offense is. So Norvell's offense is a lot closer to Jimbo Fisher's offense than it is to say Kendall Bryles offense. Structurally, in terms of what they like to do up front, in terms of what they're doing in the passing game and how things fit together, it's closer to what you see from a Jimbo offense than it is to a uh to a Kendall Bryles or Willie Taggart offense. I I expressed very clearly at that at that time my doubts about the efficacy of that kind of offense in the long term at, at the championship level. Because those those offenses, in my view, are very feast or famine, boom or bust. They've traditionally been that. You you just destroy teams that you should beat. And then you sometimes have your your goose egg. Now that happened with Jimbo Fisher at times too. But Norvell's offense is is built for the Power Five world. Norvell's offense is pretty close to ideal for the Power Five world because of the flexibility built into his offense and because of all of the pro-style concepts that are hardwired into the offense. And in terms of big, fast defensive lines seem to eat it up, well, big, fast defensive lines eat every offense up. And if you look at what he's able to do, I mean, they've been able to tra- they were able to transition on a dime from wanting to throw down the field with some drop back type passes and play action passes with James Blackman at quarterback to a straight up, you know, Gus Malzahn style offensive uh, offensive attack in the um in the, it, once they moved to Jordan Travis. And they didn't have to completely change terminology. They didn't have to install a bunch of new stuff. They just called it a little differently. And that that attests to the flexibility built into Norvell's offense. It's built on the Malzahn framework, and then it builds into that framework with more, uh, pro st- more, more what you would call pro-style uh, trappings, more, more pro-style material. So if you think about like coding, you'll have you know a fork of things. You'll have like open source software that is a particular type of a particular thing, like it's uh, Linux or something. And then you'll have something that's built onto Linux or Unix is a better example. Unix ser- serves as the baseline fra- framework for Linux and for Apple Mac OS. It, they're both built on a Unix framework, on a Unix, the, the language and all of those things at the base level 
at the level of the kernel, that's what it is. So what you've got with Malzahn or with uh, with Norvell is he's building on the Malzahn framework on the core. The kernel is Malzahn, and then he's added a bunch of air raid uh, type pass concepts and has forked it in the direction of Lincoln Riley. So if you look at what Oklahoma does, Oklahoma in Lincoln Riley's offense is actually probably the closest offense to what Norvell does of any of them out there. Though Norvell's got a little bit more in the system. There's a little bit more variety in the system than what Riley has by default. Riley's a little closer to a traditional air raid. Riley is built on the air raid kernel and then develops and then developed uh, with a Malzahn type fork and with some uh, power football fork where you have the kind of the reverse with Norvell, but they're converging on something very similar. So I think Norvell's offense is built for the power five world to really be able to do. A, it's built to be so flexible and so quarterback friendly and to have so many different options built in in the running game. I mean, he's really creative in the run game and there's a lot of flexibility built into what they can do up front to deal with those big fast defensive lines. I mean, this is one of those things I talked to one of the top defensive coordinators in the country who had coached against Norvell previously when Florida state was looking at, at coaches and, and that guy said they should hire Norvell. Why? And that was my first, my, my next question. He said, because Norvell can basically do all the things that they need at Florida state. If you're going to compete with Clemson, you need to be able to run the ball creatively. You've got to find ways of, of causing problems for the kind of defense that Clemson runs in the, in, in the running game to basically give yourself the best opportunity. And, and he thought that Norvell was one of the best in the country at that. So take it from, you know, top defensive coordinators who face this guy. They think that that offense is, is ideal for the power five world. So, and I'm, I'm going to go with that as well. I mean, I've studied it pretty, pretty in depth and taking that base level Malzahn run framework, adding more traditional uh, power and, you know, NFL style run game to go with it with a very flexible way of calling things and teaching them to keep it simple while having a ton of stuff to, that you can run. And then adding some air raid and traditional downfield, traditional NFL stuff downfield with it. That's a lot, and they found a good way to teach it uh, to, to make it simple for their players. That's going to be successful. So, yeah. Final question. Uh, your, your tweet a few weeks back about Randy Moss or Justin Fields. So there was a tweet that was, there was a question of, you know, which, which player would you, would you take, you know, to, to, that would most have changed things for Florida State? You know, would you take Randy Moss you know, who's the bigger what if, Randy Moss or Justin Fields? And I said Randy Moss by a mile because Florida State never would have lost a game between 95 and 97 had Randy Moss actually been eligible for those years. I mean, it wouldn't have been challenged. It wouldn't have been within 14 points. And I'm talking about even that 95 Nebraska team, they wouldn't have come close. You put Randy Moss out there in those teams, good good night. Randy Moss on the same, on the same field with Peter Warwick? Holy shnikey. 95 to 98, Florida State never would have lost a game. And you think about what that would have done in terms of further recruiting and all of that. That's good night. Wow. Not even close. Because, I mean, I don't think anybody quite appreciates how 
far and away better than anybody else in football. Randy Moss was at that time. And, you know, I talked to players when I got to Florida, guys, guys were still on the roster who had been on, on the field when Randy Moss was redshirting. And they said, Randy was by far the best player on those teams as a redshirt that he just destroyed that defense in practice starters, which, I mean, think about that. That was a lot of talent on those teams. Those defenses were great. Some of the best defenses in college football history. And they couldn't, they couldn't handle the scout team because of Randy. <laughs> so then the, 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 uh, this, the question is, this revived an old debate about amongst myself and some of my fellow Noel fans, which of these teams with all things staying the same, as far as injuries would have had a better chance to win the national title. 2014, if Kelvin comes back, or 2015, if Winston comes back. Whoa. Oh. I don't know if I can answer this. Now, I will say this, that Jimbo Fisher, I, I, was, uh, I, I was at lunch with Fisher before the 2014 season, and he, he flat out told me that if Kelvin had come back, there'd be nobody to touch us this year. That's what he said. So he was of the view that Kelvin was potentially going to be the difference between a national championship team and a... Uh, and a team that was good, but maybe not winning a national title going into the 2014 season. So worth thinking about that. But here's the thing. 2015 has prime Dalvin Cook. 2014's got, or, you know, it's got freshman Dalvin Cook. 2015, you'd have prime Dalvin Cook with prime Winston. And then that defense with, you know, that's, that's, that's Derwin's first year. And you've still got, Jalen Ramsey on that team. I, I, th I think I'm going to go with the 2015 team because of how good that defense became and because of what, uh, what they would have had with both Winston and Dalvin Cook in the backfield. So I'm going to go 2015, but only by a nose. That's real close. And partly be also because I think culturally the leadership on 20, the 2015 team would have been better. But that's real close. Really good question. We'll go ahead and wrap there. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and The Unconquered Podcast Shop, which features stickers, magnets, and other Seminole gear. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. Special thanks to those above the bleach numbers level. That is Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, Brian Leninger, Travis Smith, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. As well as Jonathan Kennedy and Tyler Kashishki. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this. <laughs>